Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't, we can give you one. We're in Matthew 25. We will just be in Matthew 25 today. And as I'm sure you're very aware, I will not be talking about the Super Bowl at all because the Chargers aren't in it, so it doesn't really matter. So if you're looking for Super Bowl talk, you ain't getting it. I'm still in mourning. Uh, we had a situation last night where one of our cars started to overheat. That was awesome. So we're driving, and um, it starts to overheat. So, you know, you do the usual things. There's something wrong with the cooling. We'll figure it out. But we got home, and I haven't done this in a long time, and that was a bummer. I started praying, and I, I said, Lord, what's the problem here? Let us know what it is, but is this really where you want to spend your money? Now, usually, the response is, oh, my gosh, God, help me get through this. Can you please just stop? What is the deal? This is so hard for me. I'm running out of money. That's how we usually approach it, isn't it? And yet, because of what we've been going through, because of wrestling with this series that we're going through about being lost financially, um, my heart is starting to find its place again in terms of money and finances. Because as we've been wrestling with, you get to a place, we will all get there, where you realize, I'm lost. You might not know how you got lost. You might not know how to get back. But you know that you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not where you want to be. You're not where you need to be. And so what we're going to look at, again, is what does Christ teach us? Because when it comes to the possessions and the money, it's not ours. That should be a huge relief to us, but it's not always that way, is it? Um, when the car started to make all of its mistakes, I shouldn't be that stressed because it's not my car. It's his. Is this really what you want to do with your car? Do you not want us to get from this place to this place? Maybe he doesn't, but that takes a lot of the pressure off, and I remember hearing this story uh, a long time ago. One of my heroes, uh, John Wesley, and uh, he... <clears throat> He was on a horse, because this was a long time ago, and he was on his horse, and as he was coming back towards the town, this guy starts sprinting out to him, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley. Now, John Wesley was a pastor at this time, and actually, he was a very wealthy pastor. Uh, most pastors would make like 200 bucks a year, and he made like 3000 um, actually, the average person made about 200 and he made 3000 So he was wealthy. Uh, and as he's coming back, I don't know who it was, yelling, your house, your house, it's, it's burnt down. And as he's yelling this to John Wesley, I, can't, I was going to try to do the little clopping of the horse shoes, but I can't do it. So he comes up and he says, no, that's the Lord's house that burned down. And luckily for me, I don't have to worry about it anymore. Would you feel that way if you came home? If you saw me sprinting out to you, hey, your house, it's burnt up. No, it's not my house. That is the Lord's house, and that's one less burden for me. 
Would you feel that way? Because that's the reality of our situation. That's what's really happening with money and possessions is it doesn't belong to us. We know that specifically as people that follow Christ, it's not ours. So what is our role? Now, maybe you're here and you're like, wait, wait, I don't even follow Jesus. I just somehow smell donuts or I hate football or, hey, I, was, I thought the game was going to be played. Somehow you got lost, you got, hit, got in here or someone talked you into coming or you're dating somebody and you're like, hey, yeah, let's go to church, but you're really not into it. Then you don't have to worry about this. If you're on the podcast and you're hearing this, if you're not following Jesus, this isn't for you. Because what we're talking about is what Christ has called his followers to, to set them free. Because as we talked about, when we're talking about money, we're not trying to get something from you. We're trying to get something for you, to show you the truth, to set you free. And one of the things that can really set us free is to realize it ain't yours. So if you can, open up your Bibles to Matthew 25. And we're going to look, I had all these scriptures in different places, but Matthew 25 is so packed. In fact, it's so packed, I just had to do selections from it, that we're just going to stay in Matthew 25. Now, as we look at this, though, I want us to also, um, I want us to step back and realize that God is calling us to invest. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So what does that look like? Now, when you hear that word investment, you think, well, are we talking about mutual funds? Are we talking about real estate? What do you mean by invest? That's, that is what we're talking about, but that's not what we're talking about. This is what invest means. To invest means, it's a verb, it means to put money. It could be time, it could be effort, it could be abilities. Um, but to, to put something to use by purchase or expenditure in something offering potential profitable returns as interest income or appreciation in value so it's putting your putting money and possessions or time or talents into something that when it comes out the other end there will be more afterwards than there was that you originally put in that's what it means to invest and here's something we need to understand about our place in all of this we are managers that is your role we are stewards. You've heard that before, right? That, that term stewardship, and we can get lost with what it means. I want to make sure we understand what it means. It's not an act. So stewardship is not an act. Uh, it's not an attitude like generosity. To be a steward, it's a role. So we have a role. We have a job to do, and we can so often forget that job, as I did until the car was overheating, and we've been looking in the scriptures, and I went, whoa. How did I get distracted? I forgot what my role was. So our role as followers of Christ is that we are given resources. And we are given those resources to manage, to be an agent of. That's what it means to be a steward, to be an agent, to be an administrator of someone else's stuff. I don't know if you have a role like that in your life outside of following Christ, but it's, it's a very clear responsibility. And he makes it really clear here in Matthew 25. And so in Matthew 25, open up to verse 14. I know I always say open up, but let's, we're in 2019, so maybe what I'm saying is open up your phone and swipe and move till you get to Matthew 25, 14. And Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of God is like, what, it, what it, things are supposed to be like, not just in heaven, but here. 
How are things supposed to be? So he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. It doesn't get any clearer that God is saying, look, I and the Father have given, we've gone on a journey and we've called you, our servants, and entrusted wealth to them. And so he goes to explain uh, in this parable, he says, we give one guy five talents. Now, talents means nothing to you because you're like, wait, is that a nickel? Is that a quarter? Is that a dollar? Is that a year's wages? Think of it like this. He gives one person $5,000. One of his agents, one of his administrators, he gives him $5,000. And he says, now go and invest this. It's just understood, right? You're a steward. You're an agent. You're an administrator. Turn it into something more. So he gives it to him. And another person, he gives 2000 Two talents, but we're going to say $2,000. So he gives him $2,000. Go, do something with this. And another person, he gives one. And then, after a long time, the master of those servants, administrators, agents, returns and settles accounts with them. Have you ever thought about that? We each are going to have a time when God comes back and settles accounts with us with money and possessions. Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. We, if you don't, if this is your first time hearing this, I don't know whether they say you're welcome or I'm sorry. Depends on how you look at it. But this is our role. And so he comes back and settles these accounts. And they go through what they've done. So the guy with 5,000 said, hey, you know, you gave me 5,000. I did this, I did this, I did this. I came back, here's another 5,000. So now there's 10. And he hands it to him. And the master replies, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then the second guy who got the two talents or the $2,000, he came back and said, you know what? I did this, I did this, I did this. I invested here. I saved here. I built this, sold that. And here is another $2,000. So now there's $4,000. Started with $2,000. Now there's $4,000. And he says the same thing to that man as he did to the one that came back with the 10 grand. And look carefully at the words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, usually when you hear this, because we're a performance-based society, you're thinking, okay, good. So I did right. I win. I got an A+. Notice it was the same response to the one that came back with an extra five grand and this man that came back with two grand. It's the intention. It's not, hey, how much did you make? How much did you, how much did you invest of my stuff to reproduce, to increase? And then look at what he rewards them with. Come and share your master's happiness. God intends us to do this because it brings joy. When we know that we have a role as his administrator, his agent, and when we invest it, and it produces fruit, we get to share in that joy. And if you're thinking, oh, so I get to make some money, that's, that's not going to bring you joy, as many of you know. You've never made enough where you've gone, woohoo! I'm fully joyful. And as we've talked about, it just goes. It Like an eagle seems to sprout wings and takes off. So that's not where the real joy is going to come from. But then the one that was only given the one talent or the 1,000, he says, you know what, I... I knew, and I love when he says this, 
He says, and, and I love the message translation here. He says, Master, I know that you have high standards and you hate careless ways. Or in the NIV, it would say, I know that you are a hard man. Or if you uh, look at a different version, it says that you are a harsh man, which means he's a businessman, that God cares about this. Money and possessions are important to God, not because he needs them, but they're a tool and they're important, and he's entrusted them with us. And this servant, this agent, this administrator, this steward knows this. I know you have high standards, and you hate careless ways. How many of you just got stressed realizing you have no idea how to balance a checkbook? He hates careless ways, that you demand the best and you make no allowances for error. So I was afraid that I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and I secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound, down to the last cent. So he gives him back what he originally received, but that's not what God wants from us. He wants us to invest. He wants us to try because this is valuable and he knows what it's possible to create. And so he's furious. He says, are you serious? You knew what I was like, and yet you did nothing? Out of fear, you just put it to the side? Some of us may go, hey, well, at least he didn't spend it, <laughs> right? But that's not what our role is. Our role is to take what God has given us and to invest it, to not be careless, but to be wise or to seek those that are wise. That's why I have a financial planner, because I consider myself pretty smart, but I know I'm not smart enough, and I know that I have this role, and, and we're, we're actually uh, meeting with him next week, and there's this fear. It's weird. Like, we'll go, well, you see, you see, you see, because we're, it's almost like we're treating him like he's the master. Hey, we didn't mean to do this, and we want to do this, but that's not his role, because he's a steward in my life. That's his role. And so we have that role for God. We're his administrator. We're not his financial planner. But we are his administrator, his agent, to, to divvy it out. And so we need to know what the heart of God is. Because when I originally met with my financial planner, this was the first question that he asked. What are your goals? Because he knew it wasn't his stuff. It wasn't his money. It wasn't his possessions. His job was to ask me and my wife, what are your goals as a family? Because I'll help you to meet those goals or I'll give you wisdom and guidance in those goals. So if we are going to be the stewards of God's stuff, then we need to know what his goals are. I was talking to a friend recently and um, she does very similar things. Um, not quite a financial planner. Um, some people think, oh, you're just an accountant. And so I love what she said. She said, do you, do you know what I do? And that's a great question for us to ask. Do you know what you do? Do you know what your role is? Because with your money, your possessions, you need to take off the my because it's not yours. He has given us the resources, said this is mine, take what you need to live on, and then the rest of it, I need you to invest. Okay, so now we need to figure out what is it that God cares about? What is it that matters to him? And that's what we're going to finish up with right here. So we're going to drop down a little bit. We're still in Matthew uh, 25. And we're going to drop down to um, just before verse 35 and 36. And so as Jesus is sharing what the kingdom of heaven is like, he said, you know what? I'm going to take all the people, all the people of the world, and we're going to divide them into two categories. We're going to have one over here and one over here. 
And then I'm going to say to the one that you are blessed, that you, that you will be rewarded. Why? Because they invested wisely, not just with money and possessions, but with their entire life. And this is what he says. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. So as all of these stewards, all of these administrators, agents of life, they've been given breath. They've been given life. And, and they're to be rewarded, but they're confused. Like, wait, what? Like, I'm pretty sure I never saw you. My hunger is to see you. My hunger is to be near you. And yet you're saying that I fed you and I gave you something to drink and you were a stranger and you were in prison and I was there to care for you, but I never saw you. And so they say, when did we see you? We didn't see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink. But the king, the Lord, Jesus will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did it for me. See, Jesus is sharing this, this teaching, but he's not saying it for later. He's telling it to us for now. Whenever we, whenever, whenever we do something for the least of these, we've done it unto him. I don't know if you've experienced that before. I don't know if you've, by caring for others, realize that you are in the presence of God. But Jesus is being very literal here. And the thing is, is, is that the righteous sometimes will not even know that's what they were doing. Maybe they did it out of a, a conviction. Maybe they did it out of a habit. But they took the resources that God has given, and they're caring for the least of these. And by doing that, they've done it to Jesus himself. When someone is caring for my children, when someone makes a sacrifice for my wife, it's as if they do it for me because that's what matters most to me. So if you were to ask God, okay, what are your goals, God? I mean, I've got all this stuff here. What really matters to you? What do you want me to do here? Take care of my people. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Now, this is tough for me, this phrase, brothers and sisters of mine. It's tough for me because I really dislike exclusivity. But Jesus is being exclusive here. Just like he said in other places in scriptures, there's a place to start. He gathers the whole world, but he also says, whatever you've done to, the, to my brothers and sisters, and in scripture, in the Hebrew culture, the brothers and sisters are a defined group, an exclusive group. It's the people of God. It's not only Israel, but it's those that follow Jesus. They are his brothers and his sisters. So when it comes to caring for the least of these, it has to start here first. Within your community of faith. For that to happen, you have to know the people that are around you. 
Have you noticed the chairs start inching a little bit more and more this way? Have you noticed that yet? Like, have you noticed that you can see them over there? Yeah, you noticed that, didn't you? Yeah, we're tricky like that. Have you guys over here noticed that if you look over, you can kind of see some faces? If it were up to me and it wasn't so awkwardly and impractical, I would have us just facing each other. Because that way we have to see each other. And it's not just branches. It's the big C. It's the church. These are the brothers and sisters of mine that we have to care for first. And that doesn't mean, wait, are you a follower of Jesus? No. Oh, too bad. Can't help you. That's not what this means. But it's very specific when the king says, you need to care for the brothers and the sisters. When they're hungry, when they're thirsty, when they're in prison, when they're sick. And notice, he says, whatever you've done to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine. Because we just have to be straight up honest. There's people that you like being around, and there's people you don't. Notice he emphasizes the least, because it's really easy to give to those you want to be around. Or to those you expect something back from. And not only in the church, but in our culture, who are the least of these? Do we really want to be honest with that question right there? Because when we do, it gets very political, and it gets very out there. But luckily for us as followers of Christ, it's not political. It's simple. We are responsible for caring for other people because we are stewards of God's stuff, and he's made it very clear here in Matthew 25 what his goals are for us, what he wants us to do with his stuff. He wants us to care for people, and especially beginning with the least of these. And so I was wrestling with this, because I don't like to wrestle with this, but I needed to wrestle with this. Say, okay, well, who are, who are the least of these? I know who some of the groups are in my life. I don't know how this happened. I used to be, I used to have particular roles working among the poor, and the poor I mean as in dirty and smelly, smelling like urine and feces. That was one of the roles that I knew God had placed in my life, but somehow I've become so distant from that. I don't know what happened. So I'm asking God, is this, is this the least of these to me now since I'm not spending time with them? In our culture, there are different colors of people that you will put in an order. No, no, I'm not prejudiced. I'm not racist. We all are to one degree because you are prejudiced and racist by that which you do not understand. And so those that are closest to you, those that look like you, act like you, sound like you, they're familiar to you. But those who are different from you we're afraid of. And by that, then to deal with that, we have to create some separation. But God is saying here, no, I want you to go to the people that are most uncomfortable for you to be around to make sure that they're cared for. In our culture, it has become okay to have categories, to have hierarchies. That is not the way it works in the kingdom of God. And we have to be honest with ourselves that we might have gotten distracted, that we might have gotten lost and forgotten what our role is. And we have to be reminded that this world and everything in it is his. And he gives us this amazing gift, this amazing privilege to be responsible for his stuff. And what matters most to him are his people. And especially brothers and sisters of ours who are considered the least, 
And if they're not considered the least by you, then they're considered the least by someone else. And we have got to step in. Have you ever had a situation at your house? Maybe most likely when you were growing up, if you're older, where there's food on the table and there's something really good there and so everybody's kind of fighting for it. I even, oh, I had these cookies. I even brought them with me and somehow they got lost. But in our house, my wife makes these cookies. She calls them healthy, but I know there's a bunch of brown sugar in there. So they're healthier cookies and they're so good that the family begs for them to be made. And so the thing gets filled up. And so she made them the other day, and she said, um, hey, um, make sure that the kids know the cookies are all here. Well, you haven't tasted these cookies. And I want my kids to have these cookies, but something happened. <laughs> like, it, it, it touched my tongue. And when it touched my tongue... Everything else became a little fuzzy, and I forgot what my role, my responsibility was. And it's okay, I wasn't the only one, because then uh, he, he will remain nameless, but the other kid, Zeke, came down, and then he had one of the cookies, and so I, I had to leave, because it was sucking me in so much, and then pretty soon he's eating all the cookies. Hey, Zeke, stop eating all the cookies. So then he walks away, and then one of the other kids comes down, and they're eating the, Pretty soon, the entire jar, and there was a jar this big, this wide, was done by the end of the day. Now, the reason I bring this up is for many different reasons. One is that you could see the look in my eye when I was talking to Zeke when I said, hey, don't eat all those cookies. What I was really saying was, don't eat all of my cookies, because I was worried there wasn't going to be enough for me. So at that moment, he was the least of these, because he was getting in my stuff. I was afraid of my stuff disappearing because he may be taking my stuff. And then when the little 11-year-old came in, oh, the poor little, no, she can put away some cookies. And so she came in, and I was like, whoa, are you going to be messing with my stuff? And yet, I've also been a decent dad at times, and I've seen one of my kids grab the last two cookies or the last three cookies and grab them all and have them in their hands. And I'm sure you've heard this before, from your parents, good job, Zeke. Now pound all three of those cookies before your greedy little sister and brother come in and take them. Have you ever heard that in your house? You never will, right? Because a healthy parent, and at this point I was a healthy parent, you know what? I want you to share those. That's what I want you to do. That's what mom intends for you to do. She wants you to share these cookies. That's why she provided them. That's why she made them. And so at those moments, I feel like a steward. Like, I'm making sure that it's being shared. That's what God wants done with his stuff. He wants it shared. It's not like, hey, you need to go without. You can never have a cookie. That's not the way this works. So don't start getting caught up in the way, wait, how much do I keep? How much do I give away? That You're going to wrestle with that for the rest of your life. But if we can remember what our role is, this will all make much more sense. And we're in the role of the role that basically Steph gave me, like, here are the cookies. Make sure everybody gets some. But we can so easily get distracted. It says in the parable of the soils, Jesus was trying to say, hey, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A farmer goes out and throws seed. And some of it falls on really hard ground. 
And Satan comes and just swoops it up right away so it doesn't take root. And some of this seed is going to fall in shallow ground with like rocks. And what that is supposed to represent is, is people that get all excited, but the, the fears and the persecution of this world causes it, the difficulties, the discomfort causes it. So like, oh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. So, and so the seed doesn't take root and nothing can be produced to produce fruit that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to produce fruit. And the other seed, and I think this is most appropriate when it comes to money, some seed falls in ground where there's a lot of weeds. And the weeds come up and they choke out that plant so that fruit can't be produced. And as Jesus is trying to describe what this means to his disciples, this is what he says. He says, the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of this world. The cookies of this world, the goodness around us becomes deceitful. I can tell you from personal experience that having 15 cookies does not feel good afterwards. It's deceitful and it sucks you in. And so Jesus is saying that some of this seed, some of this good news, this truth goes out and it falls into people's lives where they have weeds all around and they grow up and the deceitfulness of money and the cares of this world, all the other stuff, chokes it out and it's not able to produce fruit. So we have to be aware of this because we know our role. We're stewards and we know that the cookies that we're entrusted with can sometimes get us off track and we can forget. But you know what? None of that is enough. None of that is enough, at least not enough for me. Okay, I'm a steward. Okay, I'm going to go do it. And then I'll do it for a little bit and I'll I'll fail. But you know what keeps me going? You know what's going to get me to stay the course and would get us to stay the course? Is remembering that whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done unto him. We can be in the presence of God when we share because we have given to him. Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you ever thought about the truth that we are given this amazing gift of stewardship which allows us to be close with God? The reality is that's, we're all on a treasure hunt, right? Most of you are here because you're like, is there any way I can see God? Is there any way I can connect with God? Is it going to be the music? Is it going to be something Boog says? Is it going to be something for my kids? I want to connect with God. I want to see him. I want to experience him. I want to feel him. I want to know him. Whatever you've done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done for me. And by doing it for him, you're in his presence. When we have all of these opportunities where we can go to Mexico or we can go to FAM or you can work with the children or you can work with the teenagers, because let's face it, let's be straight up honest. A lot of times the kids and the teenagers are the least of these. Oh my gosh, stop it. Whether they're your own kids or somebody else's. And yet, when you are pouring your life into kids, something beautiful happens. It's the same when you're working with fam. It's the same fa family assistance ministry, in case you have no idea what we're talking about. They work with the poorest of the poor in our community. When we go to El Salvador and we go to Mahawala and we're out there working with these kids that are being sucked into these gangs, and you see these kids and these moms and these dads, and you just, you're like, what am I doing? I'm hardly doing anything. I'm just here present with them. And yet as you're present with them, you're like, I feel like I'm in the presence of God. Something is very right about this because that's the way it works. 
So this isn't just, hey, this is your job, this is your role, now go and do it. This is like, no, when you get to do this job, you will get the greatest joy possible. But when you get distracted, and when you let the, the weeds grow up and choke it out, you're going to miss out. I want to close with a story. It's pretty heavy, but, um, but it's true. And I think it, it really puts into, we need to put a face to the poor. Now, this is a time that didn't happen with us, and Tony Campolo, who I had, um, I shared him teaching on a video a while back, and, and just so you know, this, this year and the upcoming years, we're going to always, we might not be able to get them here, because they're either dead, or they're too requested, or whatever, or they live too far away, but we're going to show different teachers that we want you to hear from them. We want you to read their books, we want you to hear from them, because we believe that God has sent them to share the truth. And so Tony shared this story, this true story, um, of something that happened during World War II. Uh, it was a Polish village, and the Nazis had come in, and they had their SS troops, and so they rounded up all of the Jewish people. Uh, it was a smaller population of Jewish people in this town. The elderly, the adults, the children, and they brought them all together, and, and they didn't know what was happening. If they knew, they would have escaped beforehand. And so they came in and they lined them up. And there was one boy that was right there in the presence of all of it, a little Jewish boy. And then the guns fired and everybody was killed, blood flying, and they all just fell into the mud right there at the, at the moment. And so then the soldiers came up and they started just pouring dirt over all of the least of these. But the boy somehow they missed. And so he knew what was happening. He was old enough, and he just pretended to, like, not be alive. So he just sat there with his eyes closed because they didn't check. I mean, how could they miss, right? And so he waited a few hours. The sun had set. It was dark. He was freezing. And so he just dug his way out because it wasn't a full grave. And he, he pulled his way out, and he started going door to door to try to get help because he's a poor little kid, five, six years old, and he has no parents. His parents, he has the blood of his parents on him, mixed with the mud and the dirt. And so he starts going door to door asking for help. But the people are opening the door, and they're seeing this little Jewish boy, and they know what just happened. And so they say, if I take this boy in, they may come get me. So they're closing the door on this little kid, and someone's like, I would never do that. I'm sure these people never thought they would do that either. But that's what happens when the worries of this world and fear step in. And so as the boy was describing, he said, I, I didn't quite know why I did this, but I, I timidly knocked on another door. And when I knocked on the door, I said this. They opened it. They looked him in the eye, and he says, don't you recognize me? And this is a Jewish boy. He says, I am the Jesus you say you love. And the lady who answered the door reached out and embraced him and took him in. And she raised him. That's what it looks like. It's not always going to be that dramatic in our life, but that's what it looks like. We need to have eyes to see. We need to ask God to give us the eyes to see. We need to go out and be among the least of these. And you may go, well, I'm not in a situation where it's that bad. The hungry, the sick, 
the tired, the prisoners, the strangers, the lonely. We've all been there at one time or another. That's who we need to care for. And by doing that, we get to stand in the presence of God. I mean, think of that lady. Do you think 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, she's like, man, I really regret doing that. Do you think that ever crossed her mind? Have you ever given to someone a need and gone, mm, I really regret that. I could have used that cookie. Does that ever? No. Have you ever met someone that has given away so generously and said, ah, oh, that was a bad decision? It just doesn't happen. It, even if it's more than you probably should have given away, you're like, oh, I don't think I had enough. You still feel good about it because that's what we were designed to do. And so God incorporated, I believe he incorporated that in there so that makes it easier to be his stewards, to have that role, to be his agents, his administrators, because it's a good job. It is a great job. As elders, uh, when the money comes in, we give, out, we give out 10%. We give 5% to the kids and the teens, and we give another 5% that we give out to ministry partners. And I love what one of the elders told me a while back. He said, this is my favorite thing to do as an elder. This brings me the most joy to work with our ministry partners and to give it away. I wish more came in so we could give more away. And as we do the budget plan, there's always this wrestling, like how can we work this out so that we can give away more? How much does it take for us to survive and how much can we give away? You know, sometimes you look around and you go, what a piece of junk building. Why do we meet here? Yeah, I say that all the time. Sorry if this is your building and everyone's doing the best they can. But still, it's like, well, you know, if we go here, we could have this, we could have that. Because we're wrestling with how can we do this and survive on the least so that we can give away the most, so we can do the most. Because that's our job. Not just the elders, that's our job. So I've asked Tyler, and this is always an exciting time, because when I ask uh, Tyler to come up, I, I know he chooses the songs ahead of time. But he'll hear the message, and, and sometimes he'll just look at the band members and go, try to figure it out. And he'll just do a different song because he feels like it's a different time for prayer. So I'm going to invite the worship team up to lead us, and I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me, if you could. We're going to take communion this morning. And I want us to have this verse guide us, because Jesus was speaking to his disciples on the night he was betrayed, and his people were gathered. And he said to do this in remembrance of me. And it's been done for centuries. But it's been, always been, it's, it's meant to be done in community. Meant to be done together. And so the verse that we read earlier, the verse for the day, will make more sense now why, how it fits into everything. It's from Acts 2, 44 through 47. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When you take communion this morning, I want you to hold on to a couple things here. They were together. They had everything in common. It's intended that we would all have whatever you are taking care of, you're administering, it belongs to everybody. 
They gave to anyone who had need. And sometimes they didn't have enough, so they took what they had and they sold it so they could provide for others. And they continued to meet together in the temple courts, a place of worship. And they broke bread, which is what we're going to do this morning. We've already broken the bread for you. And you're going to take that bread and remember that it's his body which was broken for you. And then there is juice there, and you will dip it in the juice, knowing that that is his blood which was shed for you. And during this time of worship, we're just going to surrender to him. It's all his anyway. All, All of it belongs to him anyways. Let's pray. Father, guide us, direct us. Thank you for this gift that you've given us, that we have the opportunity to be your administrators be your stewards give us eyes to see you Lord we hunger for it we hunger to see you we ask this in the name of Jesus Amen I'm going to close today Uh, and I'm just going to do this because I don't want to distract overly distract even more than I probably already have sorry I kind of forgot it was on (laughs) Um, I traitor um, something I kept thinking about um, when Boog was speaking today was kind of the another side of um, service, and that is allowing people to serve you. Um, and that if we're going to do this as a community and love on each other, there's, um, there's also so, the, a really important element that something that I struggle with is allowing people to help me. Um, and we, and sometimes when I don't, let people help me. I am depriving other people from that joy that Bug was talking about. Um, and I just, I want to encourage anyone who kind of is in the same boat, someone who, um, it, it, I can be really selfish in the way that I really like to give to other people, and then I won't allow them to do the same for me. Um, and luckily, I have lots of people in my life who uh, push me on that and bless me all the time. Um, but yeah, just uh, that was something that was on my heart that we would not only serve one another, but that we would allow service in our own lives as well. Um, I'm going to pray, but after that, don't forget to pick up your kids and help clean up. Father, you are good. Um, thank you. Thank you for wanting the best for us um, and that the best for us is to be more like you and to, um, to be generous and gracious And uh, we just pray that we would continue to look to you for um, how we can better do that. And there's no no better example than your son. Um, Thank you for this time as a family. And um, we just pray that everyone would be safe this weekend in the weather. And uh, just that we would look to the skies and that we would see you. And that we'd see you in each other and all around us. In your precious name. Amen.